For those who are able, please stand with me as we read from God's Word. From Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Please be seated. Well, we'll turn now to Matthew's account of that miracle, which comes to us in our study of Matthew's gospel in a, in a series of miracles that demonstrate the authority of our Savior Jesus. Jesus is the one who has all authority. And let me just say, before we dig into the text, just by way of of providing a context, that, you know, we live in a world that is just full of suffering, don't we? Uh, And and we understand from the scriptures that the root of all suffering is sin. Meaning that when sin entered human experience, um, suffering entered human experience. When, when Adam disobeyed God, he opened the door uh, to every aspect of sin's curse uh, being uh, um, uh, meted out, if you will, into the lives of, of people like us. And, and Genesis 3, which tells us of this, is, is, a, is a pretty stark reminder that, that when it comes to sin, you can't, you can't open the door just a little bit. Um, I'll just let this little bit in. See, that, that might have been Adam's thought. It's just this one thing. I can contain it. Now, you just, you just look at the curse of sin brought, brought about by disobedience in Adam, and you realize that when you, when you open the door to sin, um, you, you, get the, you get the whole package. In Adam... Humanity then has as its birthright 
um, the knowledge of evil in, in all of its aspects. Holy people became unholy because of sin's curse. Healthy people uh, became unhealthy because of sin's curse. And so much so that the Bible, um, when it speaks of redemption, deliverance from sin, um, it often speaks in terms of healing. And I want to give you just a couple of examples. Uh, Psalm 103, you're familiar with this. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Psalm 41 and verse 4, O Yahweh, be gracious to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. So the scripture often correlates sickness with sin because the origin of all sickness is the curse of sin. And the scripture often correlates healing with God's forgiveness because redemption is God's ultimate answer for every aspect of sin's curse. So keep that in mind when we read of Jesus saying to a paralyzed man, take courage, your sins are forgiven. Uh, We don't want to be surprised that our Savior and King, Jesus, is correlating sickness with sin. God's anointed King gets straight to the heart of what man's greatest need is. It isn't just to be made healthy, it's to be made holy. And And this is only possible by faith in the work of Christ. That man's great need is not just to have his body healed, but to have his eternal soul healed. And that is your great need as well. Of course we ask God to heal us or someone else from cancer and and to heal us uh, of depression and to to rid us of of, of disordered desires and all of those things that come with the curse. But, But the great need of men and women like us is to have our sins forgiven. Healing starts there. And only Jesus has the authority to forgive my sin. Only Jesus has the authority to forgive my sin. Now that's basically the whole message, so if you're pressed for time, maybe just write that one down. Um, but, but let's just, don't take my word for it. L- let's look at Matthew's um, account of, of what we just heard read from Mark's gospel. Matthew 9 in verse 1, it says, In getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, note that, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. 
But when the crowd saw this, they were afraid and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Verse 1 kind of sets the scene for us, doesn't it? Jesus and his followers have, have traveled back to Capernaum, uh, having briefly visited uh, the area of Gadara on the, the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And that was where Jesus had, uh, just, just with, with a word really, rid two men who were completely possessed by demons in the presence of Jesus Christ They are liberated at his command. Jesus restored two image bearers who had been ruined by the demonic. Jesus has come in authority to restore what sin has ruined. And and Matthew keeps showing us these examples of Jesus' uh, authority, evidences of his authority. And now King Jesus has returned to his own city, not Nazareth, where he grew up, but Capernaum, uh, which was sort of his home base for, for ministry in Galilee. And it's very possible that this miracle occurred at, at the home of Peter, uh, where Jesus had, had already healed uh, Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. And and one of the things you probably noticed as we were reading through Matthew's account of all this is that he leaves out the details of the four friends digging through the roof of the house and lowering this guy down uh, to where Jesus was gathering uh, and surrounded by a crowd of people. And, And you just have to wonder, why is that? I mean, that's... I mean, in, in, from our Sunday school years, we remember that probably most about this particular um, example of Jesus' authority. As fascinating as that is, Matthew seems to be saying, it's, it's very much secondary. Of, of primary importance is this man's greatest need. In fact, any person's greatest need. Of primary importance is God's only remedy for that great need. A remedy found only in Jesus Christ. And so Matthew's concern in his gospel is not that we know whose house it is or, or even that this bedridden man was lowered down through, you know, after digging through the ceiling tiles, he was lowered down to where Jesus was. Um, this is not a story about friendship so much as it is a story about faith, faith in Christ. Do you have faith in this Jesus whose authority over demons and disease and and creation itself is an authority that extends even into the unseen realm of your soul, your heart, ravaged as it is by sin's curse? And notice in verse 2 the word behold. In other words, take careful note of this, says Matthew. Don't miss it. Don't dismiss it because of your familiarity with this as a story. This is why Jesus came. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing whose faith? Seeing the faith of his friends, for sure, but seeing the faith of the paralytic himself. 
These people believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of Man. However imperfectly, however much more they need to learn about this Jesus, they believe that Jesus is the answer to whatever is happening in this man's life. Is this fellow paralyzed because of his own sin? The text doesn't answer that. Or is he paralyzed simply because, like all of us, he is born as one born under the curse of sin? Only Jesus knows. And so they bring him to Jesus. And and either the paralyzed man had asked them to do so, or or he agreed with his friends to be brought to Jesus. Uh, The point is, all of them have faith in Jesus. What do they know about Jesus, you might wonder? Well, they know enough to have faith in him. What does Jesus know about this paralyzed man? Everything. Jesus knows this man is more concerned about the perilous state of his soul even then he is concerned about what's going on with his body, his physical ailment. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus goes straight to the primary need that this man has. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to him, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. I I want to encourage you just to to circle that word courage. Um, Maybe it's take heart in some of your Bibles. Um, Be encouraged in some of your Bibles. You know, there, there are different kinds of courage that we're familiar with. Um, we, we were at the fair the other day. Have you been to the fair? It was just like last year, wasn't it? It was a good time. Um, at the fair, they have this reptile barn. You know what I'm talking about? And we were taking our grandkids through the reptile barn, and, and, and one, of, one of the kids, um, without knowing it, was standing next to the, the, the terrarium that had the tarantula in it. Um, and it would have been good if he had had a heads up about it. Because when he saw it, he, he, he panicked and, and, and ran out of the building. And, and he said to himself, uh, and, and we heard it, he said, I just wanted to see a picture of one. No, not, not, the, not the actual thing. And, and, the thing of it, and, and we know what that kind of fear is, right? The other kids, they just had to go in there and just kind of gut it out, just kind of play through the fear. Is that what Jesus means? When he says, take courage, just gut it out and kind of hope that your sins are forgiven. That's not the kind of courage Jesus gives to souls who trust in him. The word translated courage here, um, tharseo, is a courage that eliminates fear itself. We just sang about it. No guilt in life, no fear in death. It's not mastering fear by self-will. I, I'm just, I think I got this. No, it's, it's the absence of fear itself. That's why some of your Bibles translate that word as cheer, be of good cheer, or, 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 or take heart, be encouraged. All of that stemming from the reality that Jesus alone in forgiveness removes the fear of your soul being judged by a holy God. 
Here is a man who has thrown himself at the feet of Jesus' mercy. He, he approaches the Lord in his heart. The only way a sinner who is to be saved can approach the Lord in his heart in, in complete humility, in poverty of spirit. I read that somewhere. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he is blessed. He's made happy. He's he's made cheerful. Why? Uh, Because his fear of death at his soul being judged disappears instantly in the presence of this Jesus in whom he has faith. Be of good courage. Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. What an astounding statement that is. Jesus means the... The sin that he had done in the past? Absolutely. Well, what about the present? Isn't he still a sinful person? Doesn't he still have stuff going on in his life that isn't really congruent with being an image bearer of God? That sin's forgiven too. And sin in this man's life will continue to be forgiven and forgiven and forgiven until there is no more sin to forgive. This is what Jesus gives the repentant sinner who comes to him by faith. Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. It is, it is wonderful to have four friends who would dig through somebody's roof and lower you through it so you could get to Jesus. But, but you remember this one? What a friend we have in Jesus. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. A guilty sinner grasps God's forgiveness solely by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's what Matthew is showing us here. And Jesus actually uses the language of an oath here. This is fascinating to me. The king authoritatively declares your sins are forgiven. This is just the way it's going to be. You who have faith in me. Verse 3 is a bit surprising, don't you think? You and I, uh, some of you probably already are thinking, well, why did Jesus address the man's sin but not initially his paralysis? And let me just say I don't know the full answer to that, but I'll give you a partial answer. You and I too quickly dismiss the association of sin and sickness. I mean, there's a need for balance in these things. There are maladies, physical maladies that people have in their lives that relate fairly directly to sin in their lives. Now, does does all illness result from sin in your life? Of course not. But, but there's a caution in Scripture that we not overcorrect in that sense. Sin and sickness are not always completely separate issues as, as our culture insists. And so, so when Jesus says to the man, take courage or be of good cheer, it's because he's, he's obviously despondent. The Lord can see into his heart. He's despairing. Jesus sees that just as he sees your heart this morning. And, and he knows whether you have a sense of dread and despair 
over the prospect of being judged one day by a holy God because he's given you a conscience. And if your conscience is working at all, you have a sense that that day is coming. And every day you live, it gets closer. And this man knows he must get to Jesus, trusting that Jesus has what his despairing, despondent heart needs. It's paralysis of soul, if you will, an inability to make himself right with God that Jesus deals with here first. Like I said, that's, that's a partial explanation. Here's another partial explanation. Um, it's possible that this man's paralysis has caused him to do an awful lot of soul-searching. How many of you have experienced trials, physical or otherwise, that God has allowed you to experience and you realize that it was an opportunity to do a lot of soul-searching? Say, this guy's friends did a great job of lowering him through a roof, but the thing of it is, is the burden that he feels in his conscience is something that he has to bear alone. And and that's true for you too. You must come to this Jesus, impoverished in spirit, mourning over your sinfulness, and receive his forgiveness. There's not a shortcut. And is it possible that that there are some here today experiencing some trial, maybe even a physical uh, trial, but nonetheless experiencing some trial, and, and you realize now that, hey, the Lord's trying to get my attention What is the state of my soul before God? Because at the end of the day, it's only God's measure of me that's going to matter a hill of beans. Have you come to this Jesus by faith and received his forgiveness? Do you know the liberty of that? The joy of that? Here's another reason why he de- Jesus deals with the, the, the fellow's um, physical ailment first. You're still listening. Because when you are one who is forgiven by Jesus, you now have access to all of the blessings of the kingdom, including physical healing one day. Now, don't misunderstand that. Now, maybe, maybe not. Next week, maybe, maybe not. But one day... When you are in the presence of your king and your savior in the fullness of his kingdom, there will be no sickness. There will be no paralysis. There will be no tears. There will be no cancer. There will be no um, depression. There will be no disordered desires. Jesus has come to straighten everything that's crooked around you and everything that's crooked within you. You need this Jesus. If we're not careful here, we might just hear the gospel. When Christ forgives sin, it is the guarantee of every other blessing from God. 
That's what those Old Testament passages I read earlier, the Psalms, are talking about. To be forgiven of sin is to be granted access into a kingdom that in its fullness will will not have things like palsy and paralysis. All of sin's curse is to be removed, in fact, reversed in the new heaven and the new earth. Let me just give you one one passage to to think about. Listen to uh, God's promise in Isaiah, Isaiah 33, verse 20. Behold, Zion... The city of our appointed times, your eyes will see Jerusalem, an abode at ease, a tent which will not be folded, its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its cords ever be torn apart, and no one who dwells there will say, I am sick. The people who inhabit there will be forgiven their iniquity." I mean, there, there is forgiveness in its, in its fullness. No more presence of sin's curse. Uh, no more packing up the tent, so to speak, because that's home. That's home. And home is coming for those who are in Christ. For those who are apart from Christ, this is as close to heaven as you will ever get. So there is a fulfillment of of ultimate healing, disease, sin, death itself in the future for every person pardoned by faith in Christ alone. Do you see why it's so important that this man heard Jesus say, take courage, your sins are forgiven? That's the main thing, isn't it? So Jesus first soothed this man's soul And then he deals with the physical circumstances. Look at verse 3. And behold, uh, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man blasphemes. Only God can forgive sin. Everybody knows that. Blasphemy, by the way, is simply slandering God. So for a mere man, fallen, finite, um, to, to liken himself to God would be to slander the holy, infinite God. How many of you know that's not who Jesus is? Um, Jesus, though fully human, is um, untouched by the curse of sin. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God in the flesh. And specifically, he is the ruler promised by God to his people who's come to establish this everlasting kingdom that Isaiah speaks of, a kingdom in which its sin's curse is completely eradicated, completely gone. Rebellion in humanity, rebellion in creation itself is being brought to an end through the work of Christ. Do you believe this? You see, to believe this actually shapes the way you look at life now. To think any less of Jesus is evil, he says, it's blasphemy. How how ironic this is. The scribes think Jesus is blaspheming when in reality, their thinking less of Jesus is the blasphemy in this passage. To think less of Jesus than who he really is, is to blaspheme God. Says who? Says Jesus. Uh, 
And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? How would you answer that one? Which is easier to say? Oh, it's a setup, and you're afraid of it, aren't you? I don't, I don't blame you. I, I don't trust me either. But it, it seems to me that it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven. How are you going to check that one out, right? If, if you say get up and walk, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a tangible, measurable thing. And, and that ought to give us some pause. Because it, it is, there is a tendency among man in his, his, his man-made religion um, to wield this authority of forgiveness rather frivolously. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Do you care if this is practical for a minute? I mean, a, a Roman Catholic priest says, your sins are forgiven from a little box where he hears somebody's confession. Um, you're forgiven so long as you go and do this. See this and say that and do the other thing. Your sins are forgiven. How many of you know that's an offense to God? But an evangelical Christian with very good intentions might say to a friend, of course your sins are forgiven. You, you said the sinner's prayer, didn't you? I mean, you walked down the aisle at camp. You, you were baptized, weren't you? Of, of course your sins are forgiven. How about this one? Sometimes an individual will declare that, that she's forgiven herself. In fact, life has just never been better until she finally learned to forgive herself. And there are many here today, perhaps, who, who know the pain of conscience that comes from guilt, and, and you've even heard from well-meaning people, well-meaning people, you know, you just, you just really need to learn to forgive yourself. Do you realize, friend, that you have no authority to forgive yourself? Your sin is not against you, it's against God. You, you need God's own forgiveness. But be encouraged by the scriptures this morning do you not see Jesus eager to forgive sin? Do you see that this is far better, far more relevant than whether or not you think you've forgiven yourself? Only Jesus has the authority to forgive your sin. And Jesus is eager to forgive the sins of those who come to him in faith. Anyone can say, your sins are forgiven. Anyone can say, I've forgiven myself. After all these years, I've forgiven myself. Only God actually has the authority to forgive sin. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. So Jesus gets straight to their objection. Look at verse 6. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. Son of Man. That, that is Jesus' favorite self-designation. He most often referred to himself as the Son of Man. And Matthew's first readers, Jewish Christians, who, who knew the law and the prophets... Uh, would have known, um, would have recognized that self-designation as a reference to prophecy concerning the Messiah. 
the eternal king promised by God. Let me just give you an example of this from Daniel 7. Um, this is Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In, in this vision, Daniel um, says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and came near before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Who is this eternal king? It's Jesus. He's God the Son. The Son of Man is God's promised king. The king who has come in humanity to do all that Adam failed to do. To exercise righteous dominion over the world for the glory of the Father. For the glory of God. Jesus is the Son of Man. And thus Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sin. And listen, also the authority to rule as king. Now pay attention here because we're, we're going in a direction. You cannot let a little sin into your life and contain it. You get the whole mess. Just ask Adam. You cannot let Jesus into your life without getting all of him. That is a false gospel. Don't, don't think that. If Jesus is not your king, your sins are not forgiven. Your sins are forgiven by faith in Jesus, then he is your king. Only God has authority to forgive sin. Only God can claim absolute rule over your life. This Jesus, your Savior, your king, is God. And how can you be sure? How can you be sure? Well, how, how could Jesus' first listeners be sure? I mean, how, how could they know that Jesus is truly who he says he is? He, he's proven his authority over disease. He's proven his authority over demons. He's, he's proven his authority over, over death itself. Can, can Jesus alone really cleanse the human soul? Because that, that's what he's saying here. Well, look at verse 7. The man got up and went home. There's your proof. There's your proof. If this man had not gotten up to walk, or, or if this man had gotten up for just a few seconds and then you know, faltered, that sort of thing, um, Jesus' claim to be the Son of Man would not be believable. That's not at all what happened. The man got up and he went home. The great evidence... That Christ is who he said he is, the Son of Man, is that this fellow gets up and he does exactly what Jesus tells him to do in the order that Jesus tells him to do it. Do you notice that? And we don't want to get the order of things wrong here. The the man is not forgiven because he gets up and walks. Don't think that. He's not saved by his obedience. He's forgiven so that he might get up and walk. This man is obedient because he's, he's healed. He's, he's saved. And so it is with redeemed sinners today. You're still listening. 
So you and I are meant to pay attention to this getting up and walking business. We don't earn or merit forgiveness by our obedience to God's law. Don't, don't think that. The king's people are not saved because they obey. His people obey because they're saved. And you're seeing a picture of that right here in Matthew chapter 9. The man's sin is forgiven. He's now enabled to do what the king tells him to do. Listen to this from um, maybe more of a doctrinal perspective from Romans 8. Paul says this. He says in verse 1 of Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, the the, the law, (laughs) powerless to clean you up, to make you right before God. But on the cross, think of what we just sang, on that cross where Jesus died, Jesus took the hell that your sin, past, present, future, deserves. His forgiveness is a gift. You, you, you grasp it by faith in him. And having been set free from the guilt of all of that sin before God, and the bondage of trying to earn your way to God, trying to please God, uh, you're saved by a king who then calls you to get up and walk. So Paul says in verse 4 of Romans 8, you know, why are we saved? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's, here's what I mean by all of this. In first century Palestine, the evidence that the Son of Man had authority to forgive sin was this man's glad obedience. In August of 2023, the evidence that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin is, is your glad obedience. My glad obedience. Because those who are forgiven are enabled to get up and walk in the, in the way Jesus directs us to walk. Let me just, um, by way of an application here, suggest this. Do you, do you realize how crazy we sound to our friends and, and our family members and our coworkers when we speak of Jesus' forgiveness of our sins, that he's our king, that we trust in him, but, but we don't do what he says? The watching world sees your king's authority to forgive sin when you get up and walk in his ways. John, in his first epistle, says, By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If if your sins are forgiven, your life will be different. Are you hearing this? Back in Matthew 9, notice in verses 6 and 7, you know, get up, uh, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. I got stuck on that going home thing. Why would he go home? 
Why would Jesus tell him to go home? I mean, why not take this guy on tour for the Jesus movement that is already booming in Galilee? I mean, this is a thing. What, what a crowd pleaser this guy would be, right? Is that why Jesus saved you? So you could be a crowd pleaser? No, not at all. Sinners are not saved to put on a show for others. Sinners are saved for the glory of God. And this new life in Christ that you and I are called to live, it begins at home. It begins at home. Your family members need to see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. How are they going to see that? They're going to see you walking in his ways. Gladly. They'll see you walk in obedience to him. It's it's not for the crowd at church. It's, It's not a show. It's real because your salvation is real. Your forgiveness is real. Your soul has been liberated. And enjoy, however imperfectly, you desire to walk in his ways. So I, I, I urge you to ask yourself, you who claim to be forgiven, are you imagining a forgiveness that allows you to stay on your bed of self-rule and self-sufficiency? Because you see in this passage, the king says to the forgiven, get up and walk. Start at home. And we live in a culture where everybody is reassured that their sins are forgiven because they said a prayer or they filled out a card or they went to a camp or they put a bumper sticker on the back of their car. You, you get the idea. Only Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And all who are truly forgiven live for Jesus, however imperfectly. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. I know I quote Spurgeon a lot. It's just that <clears throat> I, I like to quote Spurgeon a lot. <laughs> but he, he, I probably should have started with this. He, he says this, and don't try to write this down, you'll hurt yourselves. Um, that faith which lies only in a creed or in a little pious book is not good for much. Faith does what Christ bids it do, and it delights to do so. It rejoices to run risks. Actually, he says, it rejoices to run risks. It delights to put off from the land and get out to sea. It is glad to sacrifice itself when Jesus calls for it because faith cannot be satisfied without bearing fruit. And the fruit of faith is obedience to him in whom we believe. Wow. What's he saying? Talk is cheap. The world sees Jesus' authority to forgive when his people get up and walk as he walked. Look at verse 8. We'll end with that. Um, always end with the last verse. That's my thought. Uh, but, but when the crowd saw this, they were afraid <clears throat> and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, now, what do we take away from this? That is not a statement that everybody believed the way these, these 
five men believed and, and, and received Christ, you know, in, in our vernacular. Uh, but, but I want you to notice that um, they glorified God. In, in other words, it, it got their attention in a way that nothing else had gotten their attention. Think of the friends who took this man to Jesus. Do you realize that your faith in Jesus has a tremendous impact on the lives of the people around you? Think of the the paralyzed man himself, forgiven and glad to obey God the Son. So so the the crowds, they, they marvel at the authority of Jesus to heal and to command full allegiance and, and, and this paralyzed guy, what's he going to do? He, he's not going to go out into the wide world and become famous. He's going to make Jesus famous at home, where real life is lived, because he's really forgiven. My faith and obedience bears witness to Christ's authority to forgive sin. That's what this passage is telling me. I'm called to be a witness for Jesus. How will anyone find credible my insistence that my sin has been forgiven? Will it not be in part um, influenced by the extent to which I follow Jesus? He's made a difference in my life. Let me just end with this. Do you know this Jesus? I mean, do you you have that sense in your own conscience that that burden of guilt and shame has been removed? And and, and if in in, in the the honesty of your own conscience, you have to say, um, you know, I've I've always wanted that. I've always marveled that there are those who make such outrageous claims. I urge you, to simply turn to Christ. And those of you who are, are being assailed by the enemy of souls, who, who wants you to revel in guilt and shame, though you are a child of the king, remember what Jesus said. Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful reality that our sins can be remembered against us no more. Lord, we thank you that you came into this world for the express purpose of doing this very thing, giving this gift to your people. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to consider in our own hearts this claim of forgiven sin. Lord, may we be those who gladly Walk in your ways. Lord, not to earn anything from you. You've given this redemption freely. But Lord, that our lives might be your fragrance in this world for your glory. Lord, that the world would marvel not in us, but but at you. That you are mighty to save. And we pray this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.